The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. One of the observations about near-death reports, uh, many have noted, is the ubiquitous nature of a spiritual being often identified as Jesus. I say ubiquitous because many members of other faiths, or no faith at all, will often describe meeting, along with deceased relatives and angels, a being who they say, I just knew it was Jesus. Sometimes he looked like the pictures of earthly Jesus with long hair and a white robe. Sometimes he's more light than human looking. Nevertheless, these NDEers have no question about it. Christian, Jew, Muslim, or atheist, they name him and are humbled by the intensity of his love for them. Perhaps that quote from John, no one comes to the Father except through me, is being fulfilled on the other side as well. Our guest today, Santosh Adjarji offers another uniquely different version of such an experience. Santosh, known as Sandy, was born and raised in India to an Orthodox Hindu family. Although his father was a Hindu priest and renowned Sanskrit scholar, Sandy says that he himself was not seriously religious, although he always believed in God and that everything was created by someone But he was busy with his high-tech career as a manufacturing engineer in Germany, Canada, Brazil, all around the world, and finally in America. That is, until he experienced a code blue in the ICU of a hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. In his book, My Encounter with Jesus at Heaven's Gates, Sandy describes how he unexpectedly departed this world for a period of three days and three nights to an NDE with Jesus that transformed him completely. Sandy believes he learned from his NDE who we are, the real purpose of our life here on Earth, and what is expected from us. Sandy, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. Thank you. It's really great to have you here. Um, Sandy, uh, few people in this country know anything about the Hindu religion. So if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a few questions about the religion you were first born into, going back to uh, the Indus Valley, 4000 BC, that you mention in your book. And I was going to say, heaven, hell, and angels that appear in the Hindu religion, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah, we actually Hindus believe there's a trinity. There's a one. The trinity consists of Father, the Creator, and his name is Brahma. Yes. And then the second trinity is Father the Preserver. His name is Vishnu. And the third trinity is, is, is Father the Destroyer, which is, have, his purpose is to destroy. Yes, and that's, that's Shiva, isn't it? That's Shiva, yeah, yeah. you're right. Now, is Shiva considered a, an evil being like we think of Satan or Lucifer? In well, that he's right. a destroyer? Right now, you know, when I grew up, Shiva was another uh, powerful god. Okay? Mm. Now, in Hinduism, you can actually follow 
any of those uh, you don't have to go to the one main thing you can be like a hindu just believing in something else but you still can be a hindu okay hmm. there's no unified uh what i should say the direction that we need to go to okay so that's so that's how i grew up then hindus also believed under the three you know the three three what i should say main ones there mm-hmm. the million, primary gods yeah primary god there are millions and millions of other gods okay gods and goddesses okay mm-hmm. so that's also they believe in in many gods and goddesses and there're like hundreds of millions of them aren't there yes i think if i recollect you know i'm not an expert in the religion but i think they believe in 330 million gods and goddesses wow yeah. now we uh christians uh, talk about millions of angels is there is, do you suppose there's a similarity between the between the two right now no no they also have an angel separately so i don't think the angels that someone that they would worship or we would worship no they mm-hmm. don't do that okay. although they believe they have superior power than us but we do, we don't worship them okay and then brahma is the chief god and he exists forever brahma, ever forever brahma would be like the father in our you know in a christianity mm. is father he is god the father okay and then i think in your book you said all else is maya illusion the tell us about that well in their religion they did say that no one can come to the father no one so father is is nobody can reach to him hmm so and the only way we can probably ever reach to him is is by repeated reincarnations by perfecting mm-hmm. ourselves and and also being under the guidance of a spiritual guru or something maybe we can we can get to know the father that that we know in our christianity but in in general practices no he is not reachable by any one of us so it would be a very rare soul uh that that makes it to uh merge with uh, uh with brahma exactly exactly yeah. um the soul reaches through reincarnation hopefully the soul reaches uh, i think it's moksha moksha yeah that's yeah, which is salvation salvation yeah that's and that's that, moksha yeah. and, and now that's with the great soul now you saw a divine giant lord of pure light we're going to get to that but do you see a similarity between the two well at that time i did not know the difference okay i did mm-hmm. not know the difference between god the father and god the son and i did not know any difference okay so i thought that when i die that would be is is done i'm done with this life and what happens if there is an afterlife what happens to me is beyond our control would be up to the up to the almighty mm. 
Now, your father was a, a priest. What were his duties as a priest? Well, he was actually a Sanskrit scholar. Sanskrit, uh-huh. Sanskrit is, um, is actually where many, many of these Indian religions, they actually came from that, you know, original Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. And some also these days believe that there's a connection between the Sanskrit and the German language. Okay. I really didn't dig there into that too much, but they are interconnected. So, wow. So I would think um, Sanskrit would have uh, pre-existed uh, German for sure. Wasn't uh, is the Mahabharata written in Sanskrit? Yes, yes. That's all the Indian, you know, the holy books. Yes, and most of them are written in Sanskrit. Yeah. And we read when I was in school at, at Columbia, we read some of the contents and some of it sounds like a, a prehistory of a technological civilization with flying machines and nuclear weapons and nuclear war. I mean, it's some dramatic passages that sound just like something out of Hiroshima. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is fascinating. Even today, it fascinates the people who actually wrote them thousands of years ago, mm. they had this concept of these, uh, like today's uh, planes and, you know, that helicopters in different forms. Okay. So those things, you know, it's, it's really mind boggling. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a sort of a fundamental difference of timeline between Christian and, and Hindu in that the Hindus see great cycles massive millions of year cycles. And so you could have had high tech civilizations that managed to destroy themselves. And we go back to the cave era and then we're back into building up civilizations again. Whereas in the Christian history, we sort of see it as a straight timeline from the big bang to it's the creation of the Bible to revelation, which is the end of days in the Bible. It's a very different construct in the way to see the universe, as far as I can tell. Yeah, like for myself, I never, you know, never paid any interest to any of them. So I'm not an expert in this. There are some people they do. My father would be like more qualified than anybody I can think of to to talk about it. Yes. I am, my interest went to different areas. So I am, I was, I was totally away from, from what my father knew. <laughs> was he uh, interested in your being a, a- a uh, faithful Hindu when he when you were growing yes, up. He, he, since you know, I am the eldest son in the family. Ah, I find those days I did not know much about the Jewish family mm-hmm. because now that I know a little bit more about Jewish families, it looks like the Jewish family's tradition and the Hindu family tradition exactly identical. Ah, except you know they believe in one. God and what the Hindus believe is gods and goddesses. Yes. Other than that, we have a very much similarity in our culture. Was there a uh, bar mitzvah for you as a young man? Uh, what, what what the Jews would call a bar mitzvah, what we would call a confirmation? Uh, well, it's very identical. Like, you know, many things are identical. Like, you know, they... On the seventh day or the eighth day, they have like when the new son is born, there is some kind of a, you know, you know, the celebration that goes on. 
very mm. identical to what they have yes and then also the the culture the the, the entire family live together is very that's the way it used to be old days even when i grew up you know like my father and his and his uh, brothers and sisters they're all together you know in one family mm. and the, the marriage marriage of the you know jewish families you know daughters is very identical to hindu families daughters so there's a lot of similarities between the two cultures hmm. did your parents come to america with you well i invited them my father didn't want to hmm. my mother wouldn't mind come visiting me because but she could not travel alone so only way she could travel somebody would bring her back here and take her back yes so no they never came uh i guess the only big difference in modern christianity uh, or at least the majority of modern christians and and the hindu faith is the notion of reincarnation about 25% of christians believe in reincarnation but it's not the mainstream thinking on the subject and of course in in the hindu tradition it is growing up did you hear stories maybe from other children about past lives well yeah that's see time to time you know it comes in the newspaper and other things but you know i really didn't pay much attention the only one thing that really surprised me is when when i physically died in the hospital mm-hmm. i had the code blue and they tried to revive me but they could not so and i described those in the book too what really surprised me i thought when i died this it but then after my death i found out that's not it i'm still alive yes <laughs> i'm still alive because my physic my body died but everything that god gave me my intellectual powers and everything my thinking my vision everything is still there okay well let's move on to that let me summarize from your book for the listening audience in october of 2006 you went to the hospital with severe chest pain thinking it might be a heart attack turned out gallstones had ruptured causing your pancreas to start bleeding out plus you had pneumonia and you were dying and your heart rate was so fast the doctors said there was nothing they could do for you and you say in your book you're lying there thinking and and you'd had this long and successful engineering career but you were lying there thinking what good is it all my success in the world what good is it is that about right exactly exactly <laughs> you know i was i was like one of the you know i had a good career i had a good prospect I was making good money, good traveling. That everything that someone in my field of dream of, I had it right, and yes. everything was going in the right direction. I had so many projects, and I had—I'm not bragging it, but I'm just with his, with the blessings of the Lord. I had successes in every projects that I took, mm. and that's what gave me some reputation, also money, and also prestige, or whatever you want to call. but what good is it what good is it when i'm in the hospital and i want to leave and they say they can do anything i think we all 
at some point in our lives face that question, don't we? All the things we thought were going to earn us credit in heaven, those aren't the important things at no, all. They're not important at all. Yeah. Now, you, you say in your book you had an inner voice. You heard an inner voice that told you you were dying. Tell us about that inner voice. What, what was that like? The inner voice really surprised me when they were like, well, they took me for, you know, like uh, draining out the, they want to drain out the lungs. My lungs had some fluids, but they did draining out of the one lungs. But in, in the process that something went wrong, not intentionally, I think medically they did something wrong. And they actually punctured the main artery that goes into my lungs. Oh, my God. So the, as a result, it was bleeding. Mm. And my lungs got filled up with blood. So I could not breathe anymore. That's what actually caused my code blue. Yes. Wow. And then at that time, when they were taking me upstairs, I even asked the RN, did everything go well? And she said, Yes. But we want to make sure I'll take an x-ray before I can take you up. We can take you upstairs. Mm. So after the x-ray, I asked the RN, did everything go okay? And she said, yes, nothing to worry. Mm. But as they were taking me upstairs in the elevator, an inner voice came to me and said, your life is coming to an end. And that really shocked me, you know, who is talking to me, you know. And it's coming over and over. He said, your life is coming to an end. You don't have much time to live. And that continued, that voice, until the things actually happened. It kept repeating. So then I don't know what that inner voice came from, but it was warning me that your life is going to be ended soon. Some would say it was a guardian angel, perhaps your guardian angel telling you. It's possible. You say in the book, you had a chance to say goodbye to your wife, Jarna? Yes, yes. Uh, and, and give your blessing to the family? Yes, at the time it happened, you know, my wife was there. And my son came, he used to live in north of Detroit. And he came with his wife. And also I had a granddaughter. They all came to visit me. Mm. So I had the opportunity to give my final blessings to them. And when actually it happened, I was actually touching my wife's forehead, giving her the blessings. I've been telling them, take care of each other, love one another. And at that time, I collapsed right on the bed. Wow. And, and that, then that that's interesting because that's one of the things when we get to it that God said you should do is to give your love to your family. Hmm. And then after I collapsed, all my senses, I was touching my wife's forehead, giving her the blessings. I couldn't feel the touch. It's gone. I was watching her. I could not see. I was talking to her. I could not talk. It looks like all my sense is gone, except the sense of hearing. The sense of hearing I had for quite some time. I don't know how long, but quite some time, because I heard through the hearing, I could see, or I could hear that the RN came to the room 
and announced code blue, code blue, room number this, code blue, code blue, okay? I did not know what the code blue meant at the time. And then a little bit later, I hear a lot of footsteps in my room. They actually drove everybody out, okay? Mm. Including my family. And then they took over. I did not know what they're doing. I only, last thing I remember, one doctor is telling the other doctor, we are rapidly losing him. He's not responding at all. And the other doctor said, we just lost him. And after that, I went into a darkness. I could not hear nothing. All my senses are gone. Everything went dark. But then, was it shortly thereafter that this bright light came to you? That's the time that I noticed that I am not dead. My body is dead. Oh, that's right. You had an out-of-body experience. You saw your body, didn't you? I see my physically I am dead, but I'm still alive. The reason I'm saying at the time I had these emotions or feelings that I would have, I lost my home. What am I going to do now? Mm. That's like a, you know, it's like a feeling of losing everything, okay? Helplessness. And then at that time, I saw a bright light appeared before me. The light was so bright. And when he came near me, he engulfed me with his radiance. So as a result, I could not see anything, but I could see when it engulfed me, I could see my dead body is still lying on that hospital bed. And I am out of the body. So that's uh, after the light took me over. I knew when the light came, I knew that that light had a superior authority. I have to obey. Mm. I I could not disobey his uh, or the lights, whatever he wants to do. And then together, we traveled for quite some time. I don't know how long. Yes, I think you, in the book you say he, he drew you like a magnet, draws yes, a piece it, of metal. He just took me like a magnet. I had no power. Okay? <laughs> I'm under his control. Okay? And then sometimes I remember that we went through some dark tunnels. The reason I'm saying that is because I'm engulfed with, with the light. Have you ever taken a train ride? And sometimes the train goes to the tunnel. Yes. It's the same kind of feeling, okay? Yeah. So that you know that I'm going through a tunnel, everything's different, okay? But after that, once the tunnel went through, everything back to where it was before. That's where, I, that's where I'm saying that we went through some dark tunnels. Mm. But during the transition, I fell in love with this divine light. The reason I'm saying that is because I knew that divine light that was taking me, it has a mission, and whatever it wants to do is good for me. I have no control over it, but he he meant protection for me. As long as he's taking me, I'm okay, I'm safe. So that's 
what was my experience there. I guess you were moving at a great speed from what you said in the book. Yes, it was a great speed. I have no idea how fast it went, but it was a great speed. And was it up? Did you feel like you were going away from the earth and in an upward direction? I have no because I was surrounded with this light, hmm. moving at a fast speed, but I don't know which way is taking me. <laughs> is it up or north or which direction is taking me? Yeah. I, have no, I have no clue. But together we traveled for quite some time. And then at the end, the light stopped. When the light stopped, I had to stop. I had no other, no other choice. Yes. And then when the light stopped, I was wondering, why did the light stop? Mm. Why is it not moving? Why, we've been moving so long, but why is it not going any further? Then I saw that light was shining on top of a beautiful, magnificent compound. Most beautiful compound that I've ever seen anywhere. And then light was shining on top of that compound. And then when I looked up, where it stopped, I saw that compound, many, many beautiful mansions, mansions after mansions. Is is like unbelievable, and it's also surrounded with high walls, very high walls, and it's all like a protected area because that first time I saw there inside, there were many many angels, the angels. Their job was to protect this territory, wherever he took me. And then I counted. I looked at all around there. I wanted to go desperately inside. Because I knew if I go inside the territory, my life's mission is over. Okay. I knew that. But how do I get in there? I looked all around there. I said, 12 magnificent gates, but every one of them was closed for me. None of them was open. And I desperately wanted to go there, but I could not. So not being able to go there, it made me sad. And I, I definitely wanted to go, and I wished that there was an alternative. But there was no alternative in my sight at the time. So then I was not being able to go. I was concentrating on the area. Where am I? What is this place that I'm standing? It looks like I'm standing on some place. Okay. Even though my body was not there, it felt like I'm standing. So I Looked at the area, I was standing on a huge platform. That platform was 1,000 feet long, roughly, and about 250 feet wide. The very, very big platform. And I was standing at the extreme left-hand edge of that platform. And from where... It looks like I'm on a higher altitude. From there, I could fall down 
So I was thinking if I fall down, where am I going to fall? So I looked on my left and what I saw down below scared, scared me completely because what I'm going to fall is, is it, is it enormous depth and it was all dark. It's like dark dungeon world. And that wall that where I was standing is all abyss. You know what abyss means is if I fall, I can never climb up. Okay. Yes. And when I fall down there, the only light there is a burning lake of fire. So from where I was standing, I fall, I'll fall into that burning lake of fire. And that really scared me. And I immediately tried to move a couple of feet away from there. And then I was sad. I was sad because, you know, I'm at a spot. I want to go forward inside that beautiful compound that I can see. But all the gates are closed. I could not go back to where I came from. That's a no-no. I did not have that opportunity like the Hindus believe that there is a reincarnation. I did not have that opportunity. The only option I had was to fall on my left into the deep dungeon, dark world, into the, into the burning lake of fire. The kind of vision you're describing, I've heard from other NDEers that it's like 360 degree and you can see forever. You can see up close and you can see great distances. Was it like that? Yeah, I could see like enormous distance and, I think I also mentioned in my book that when we are there, we have a different vision. Our vision in this art is very limited. We can only see so far, and even for us to see, things have to be bright. Things have to be within our within our visual distance. But over there, we have enormous vision. We can see from one end to the other end without any obstructions. And we can also, not only you can see, you can also zoom in like a powerful camera can do these days. Yes. Like if I see somebody, I can zoom in their faces and see if I know somebody. So we have that, we'll have that capability over there. And then I was at a spot that I I had no no way to go forward. I have no way to go backward where I came from. The only option I had was to f- fall into that lake of fire. Now, in your book, you said the light that brought you was carefully watching your your every move. What what was that about? Well, like you know, when I, I was at the extreme left edge, and I moved two feet, three feet away from there, he was watching me. What I'm doing. <laughs> Was was it to protect you from falling, or what do you think? No, it's just probably just, just curious. What is he doing? You know, why is uh, he moving <laughs> two, three feet away from this edge? You know? So it's more or less like it was, it was. It was frightening for me that yes, that he's watching me. You know, and then was no way I could go back or I could go forward. I could only fall down below. That made me very sad. 
And I think in your book, you said you, you looked into the city to see if you could see the faces of friends or family. Yes. My first reaction was, you know, when I had the capability of zooming in the faces, I was seeing some people there. I zoomed in their faces. Just my first reaction was whether my parents are there, whether I somebody I know. But unfortunately, I did not see anybody that that I recognized. That made me very sad. You know what I thought when I read that was perhaps we have a choice according to our faith. Perhaps they had reincarnated. I do not know. I do not know what happened to them. I am still, every day I pray for them. Every day. I don't know where they are. I know they are good people. They're very honest people. They knew they were very religious. Whatever happens, God, please have mercy on them. Please have mercy on them. Please take care of them. Well, then there was something else on the platform, wasn't there? Yes. Tell us about that. So not knowing like what to do, I was trying to concentrate on this platform. What is this platform? Huge platform. And then I was starting to look. At the center of that platform, there was like an altar with three steps, those three gigantic steps for me. And on the on the top of this of the altar there was a huge throne. And it did look to me, seemed to me that somebody was sitting there. So I looked up and when I looked up, I saw there the Lord Almighty is sitting there. Mm-hmm. I only looked at his face once because his face was so frightening to me as if he was angry and he means he was going to punish me for all the wrong things that I did and every wrongful thing that I did in my life everyone was flashed before my eyes some of them I forgot but when I watched them, then yes, I remember I did, I did commit those wrongful things. But I was, I could not look at his face for the second time because shame and guilt took over me. I started to tremble. I knew at any moment the Lord Almighty was going to ask me to dive down. I was trembling. I was looking at his feet continuously for his begging for his mercy. And I kept repeating the same thing over and over. Lord, please, please forgive me. Please forgive me for my sins. Lord, Please forgive me. I did not know what I was doing. I did not know what all the things that I've done. I should not have done that. Please have mercy on me. So I kept repeating the same thing. And, but I knew at any moment the Lord is going to ask me to, to jump down or dive down. Mm-hmm. When, I was, when I was expecting for the worst, the Lord spoke to me. 
he said to me, what are you doing here? I shrugged my shoulder, meaning I don't know. Then he said, I am sending you back to the earth. Go back and complete your unfinished tasks. When the time comes, I'll see you again. When I was looking at his feet, when the Lord spoke to me, I felt the compassion and the grace and the love in his voice. He has mercy. I could feel that. And then when I was looking at his feet, slightly on his left, right on the platform level, I saw a very tiny narrow door or narrow gate. And through that narrow door, I could see the entire kingdom of heaven. And I felt like running through that narrow door. But I am five foot six inches and the Lord is sitting in front of me. He's a huge giant, mighty giant. How can I dare to run through that gate? It doesn't happen. The only way you can go to the door is only if he lets you in. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. So I was looking at the narrow door and I started pleading to the Lord. Lord, please, please help me. When I'm back to the yard, please tell me which church you want me to go, which temple you want me to join, which mosque, which synagogue, or which any other religious institute that, that you want me to join. I asked him several times, but he did not respond. And then finally he said, those things are not important to me. That really shocked me because I thought the more religious a person is, the closer to God he is. But God himself is saying those things are not important to me. I was confused, he said. I want to see your relationship with me. I want to see how true, how sincere, how honest you are with me. All the time, not just once a week or whenever you want. All the time I want to see, are you sincere? Are you true? Are you honest with me? I was confused. All the things that I knew, because I knew that my parents were very good religious people. Very good, very honest. But the Lord is saying, they're not important. I want to see if you were, if you have a good relationship with me all the time. So I started pleading to the Lord, Lord, I am a simple human being. Please tell me what exactly I need to do when I go there. After repeated pleadings, he said, when you are back to the earth, I want you, it's like an order. I want you to love your family and love your children. So that's the very first guidance or not only guidance, it's like a, it's a commandment that he gave. Not only for me, for anyone in this world that we must love our families and we must love our children. 
very simple it is, but it's, it's very hard. If you look at today's world, you will see that has, where is the society is falling apart. Yes. Husbands don't love their wives, wives don't love their husbands, children don't love their parents, parents don't love their children. That's a commandment that very first thing it says, love your family and love your children. Then it also gave me some instructions. Yes. Uh, well, there were five altogether, weren't there? Five instructions he gave. The first instruction he gave to me is always tell the truth. Always. Do not be afraid to tell the truth. Some people will look down upon you when you tell the truth. But do not despair. Always tell the truth. Now, when he says tell the truth, to me, it has two meanings to me. First meaning is do not tell lies. And the second meaning is tell the truth means what you are witnessing in front of you. What are you witnessing on your left? On your, where are you going to fall? And where do you are? You cannot go back to the where you came from. Share this truth. Share this truth. What are you seeing here? This beautiful compound in front of you. And there is only one narrow door there. The narrow gate that you enter in there. Through there. Share this with the whole world. Share with the others. Second instruction is told me the wages of sin is death. From this day on forward, commit no more sins. So I took that's a tough order, isn't it? (laughs) I I take it like from this day on forward, when you say it, that means he, he forgave my sins up to that point. Okay. All the sins that was flushed in in front of my eyes that he showed me, those things are probably forgiven. From this day on forward, he doesn't want me to commit any more sins. It's a hard one. Mm. Because very basic things that we learn in this world is how to tell lies, not to tell the truth. Mm. I myself was guilty about that. I've told many lies, but ever since I came back to this life from that encounter, I have not said any more lies since then. I try not to. I do not tell any more lies. It's a very basic thing in our in our life. If everyone would do that, we could heal society overnight. Exactly. Exactly. That's the lies that are bringing us down. It's not only. In personal life, also you take it in a bigger sense up to this country. You know, the entire yes. country is run by because of a lot of lies. Yes, but we need to go back to the basic. We need to start changing ourselves one at a time. Every person by themselves. Do not tell lies. Try try to tell the truth. The Lord is saying, the wages of sin is death. So then the next instruction that he gave me is, 
always, always surrender myself completely to him in my daily life. Mm. Completely should be underlined. It's a powerful thing to think of. You know, it's the sort of thing that a a monk might attempt to do. But for someone in ordinary life, it's a complete change (laughs) in your ego to be able to do something like that. Because we always like to do it ourselves. Yeah. Just the way we think, just the way we think it's right, that's what we'll do. Yeah. But he wants to be the driver in our life. Okay? He wants to be the driver in my life. And the next instruction was completely foreign to me. I did not understand at all because he said, walk with me. I did not understand because... I'm like you mentioned, I'm five foot six inches. <laughs> and what I'm witnessing him there when he stood up would be at least 70, 75 feet tall. <laughs> so, how can I walk with him? His one step would be like running a race for me just <laughs> to catch up with one step. I did not understand the meaning of that for a long time until later on when I knew that walk with me means. Walk in the direction that the Lord wants to go. If the Lord wants to go forward, I'm going backward or I'm going sideways, right or left, and we are not walking together. And I took that to mean love. The path of love would be walking with God. Yes. And the final instruction that he gave me is always be kind to the poor, be generous to the poor. They need your help. That instruction was so important that he told me that twice. Hmm. Always be kind, be generous to the poor. Now, in this world, when you talk about be generous to the poor, normally we think that people need financial help only. Not only so. People could be poor in many ways. They could be mentally poor, educationally poor, emotionally poor, physically poor, in many different ways. But in today's world, what you see is most people, even the people that go to churches all the time, they're spiritually poor. They don't know the Lord. They don't surrender to Him. They don't walk with Him. So we can enrich them by offering our compassion as well as our money. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. So that's basically what I experienced now. The Lord spoke to me for quite some time. I don't know exactly what time, but we have, it seems like he spoke to me after that on other things. And one of the things that he asked me is to write two books and... I did write those two books, but he also told me not to take one penny from these book sales. It should be all donated to the poor. So, yes, I did write two books with his help, with his guidance. And these two books have been combined now into one book. It's my encounter with Jesus at Heaven's Gates. It's available in Amazon and also Barnes and Noble and other places. So, but every penny that that I get from these, they go to help the poor. That's great. 
So that's basically what happened. I did not know at the time that it was Jesus talking to me. It took me several years. Okay. When he was talking to me at the time, I took it literally as God was speaking to me. And then it bothered me. After I came back, I went back to my job and I had few responsible assignments. The first assignment that I got was in China. After that is finished, then my next assignment was in India. And then I was traveling, you know, I was traveling back and forth quite often. But it kept bothering me. What did I witness? What does the narrow door mean? Right? Why couldn't I go through these uh, 12 gates that I witnessed? Why they were all closed for me? What does it, all this mean? I didn't know. And the other thing that bothered me in our Hindu scripture says that you cannot come to God directly. It's, it's not possible for a human being to, to have an encounter with God. So, but, but the person or the God that I met, he was God. He was God Almighty. So how is it possible? Why didn't I not witness a god or goddesses or whatever that, that I knew that was bothering me for a long time and I could not speak to anybody nobody would listen nobody could explain at work we are not supposed to discuss that kind of topics but it bothered so finally I started to meditate on, on, the, on, on the Lord Lord God Almighty and slowly, slowly, he revealed that to me. I came to this church. It's, um, it's a great church in Middle Bar Heights, Ohio, for the very first time through my daughter, who was going to perform in, that, in one of the Easter services, I believe it was 2010. And she was invited by one of her friends to join the choir group. So we came to witness, and it's the first time I came to attend any church services for Easter anywhere. And the very first sermon that the senior pastor here, his name is Jonathan Schaefer, he was preaching that day. His very first sermon was a narrow door, <laughs> narrow gate. Jesus. Oh, things Jesus. never happen by coincidence. They just uh... no, it, it, it didn't happen by coincidence. I was I was struggling with it. Why is the narrow door? I could have run through this narrow door inside that heaven. I wanted to when I was there, but I could not dare. So, what this narrow door means? And yet, Jonathan was exclusively as if he was talking to me. What does narrow door mean? So that really drew my interest. I started I started reading those scriptures that he was he was preaching that day and after that I started coming to this church more often and gradually the Lord explained everything to me what I witnessed. Everything. Yeah. Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Exactly. 
relationship. Yeah. And oh, I, I, I wanted to ask you, when you first came back, there's a, you talk in your book about a, a very kind motherly nurse, and you told yes. her about what you'd seen. Tell us yes. about that. Yes, because when I came back, like I went away from this world on 21st of October, 2006. I think the timing would be about, you know, my code blue happened around 2 p.m. around that time. So I don't know how long they're trying to revive me and all these things. Maybe I don't know exactly. <clears throat> Sometime in the afternoon. But I came back. And from that, day, from that time until I came back, I had no clue what happened here. Everything I, I knew is after I came back is from my doctor and the medical team or speaking to my wife and somebody else, right? And, uh, but I had no recollection of things that happened in this world during that period. But I mean, even today, I still remember every second what happened outside. Even today, those things are not gone. They're mm-hmm. permanently in my, in my, in my brain. You encountered a, a motherly type nurse who was sitting well, by your bed. Yes, and, yes. And you told so, her about about what you'd seen. 21st of October, I went from here. And according to the, to the medical report, I came back in that hospital October 24, 2006, in the morning, hmm. around early morning, some 7, 7.30, something like that. So uh, during these three days, I have no idea what they've been doing. When I opened my eyes, I remember seeing a motherly type nurse. Motherly type means is very kind, very merciful, very compassionate lady was looking at me as if is. And she's, when I woke up my eyes, she said, oh, thanks God, you're back. You're back here. Yes. I said, where am I? What's this place? I was just talking to God. And he said, I'll listen to it later. Everyone here will be very excited to know this, to know this, that you are back. Okay. Let me go and tell them. He'll be so excited. Praise the Lord. And, and she ran away. She went to the, to the other so I was dozing on and off when I came back. Next thing I hear is a bunch of footsteps in my in my uh, in that room, and they were all excited that I'm up. And then, after a few days, I talked to one of the nurses. Is remember when I came back? There was a nurse here. Can I speak to that nurse? Well, certainly, certainly we'll go back and, you know, look at who was at the time. So we'll we'll bring her back. So this was a motherly type lady. They brought her back to me, a young girl. And she was on duty. 
And when I looked at her, I said, no, that's not her. It's because it's a motherly. I still remember her face. And they went back and checked all the records. Nobody in the description was there. So that's still a mystery to me. So who was that lady that, that talked to me? The only thing I can think of, it was an enormous distance that when I traveled with the divine light, I could not make the journey by myself. So maybe somebody else need to bring me back. Maybe I'm, I'm not sure. That's the, just still a mystery to me. Uh, that she might have been an angel in disguise. Only God knows. Yeah. Well, Santosh, we're out of time for today. Um, and I really want to thank you so much for sharing your story, your amazing story. Um, your books are combined in uh, My Encounter with Jesus at Heaven's Gate, Gates. And um, you wrote those two books that God asked you to write, and then you combined them, which is makes it easy for folks. And uh, I, I enjoyed reading them. Um, and, and I should note again that all proceeds from the sale of the book go to the poor, which is terrific. So if uh, listeners would like to get a copy of your book, you had said it's available through Amazon? Yes, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Okay. And uh, before I forget, I want to thank your pastor, Steve Harper. Thank <laughs> who has helped us with this Zoom connection. And Santosh, uh, bless you, man. This has been an amazing story. And uh, the the requirement God asked of you and of us that we never sin again, uh, we're we're counting on his mercy and his love. (laughs) If if we're trying hard enough, I think he'll probably... uh, It is difficult not to commit sins in this world. It's difficult because we live in an environment. But the thing is that the minute we know that we committed sins, is ask for the forgiveness. Ask for his forgiveness. And my take on it is that he is asking us to ultimately love him and love one another as he does to us. And if we accomplish that, then the sins are going to just disappear of their own accord. You know, they just, there'll be where love exists, there isn't any sin. And ultimately that's heaven, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is, this has been a blessing for us and for our listeners. So thank you again. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 450 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE radio Facebook page. Just search NDE radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.